Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which I always say definitely count, but that's not to say that it's become rote. They still really definitely count. All right, Dan, that 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 is quite a tortured opening. I'm Mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man. The annuals don't count, which is my way of saying the annuals, they don't count. I'll take it. I'll take it. At least you're being honest with me. Well, thank you for joining us for part two of a special Amazing Friends episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and a creator as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. And if you want to learn everything we know about Spidey, why not subscribe to our show starting back with the first season? In the previous episode, which was either one week or 10 years ago, depending on the current timeline, we featured the first part of our interview with Marvel's Senior Vice President of Publishing, Tom Brevoort. He talked to us about his personal collection of Fantastic Four comics and how Marvel may handle the coronavirus both inside and outside of the fictional world of their comics. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and check it out. It's also worth listening to that episode to hear Mark get completely shut down about annuals counting. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, it's always worth it to hear me get shut down on the air in, in real time. But today we are bringing you part two of that interview where we cover some very different topics with Tom. This time we talk a ton about Spider-Man, imagine that, and Tom's input on the character from his manifesto, which inspired the brand new day era, to questions about how much the concept of youth plays into the character. We also pin him down on his favorite version of the Spider-Man character and what he thinks the very best Spider-Man story of all time is. We hope you enjoy the interview. Well, now let's meet one of our amazing Spider-Friends, the kind of guy I go to other friends who recommend. Find out about the things they created. You'll love them so much that you wish you dated. But you're just friends. They're an amazing friend. A friend, a friend, a friend. They're an amazing friend. Well, when did you officially start at Marvel? What was that like? Was that the late eighties or the nineties or? It was. It was December of nineteen eighty nine. Okay, so so obviously in that time, the Spider Man as a character has undergone tremendous change in terms of his biography. I mean, you know, we 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 won't we won't have to go into it line by line. Uh, but he was, uh, he was he was married, he was less married. That's yeah, pretty much it. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's how we all boil it down, right? It's, you know, there's there's married and then unmarried. But is there you know, in that in the time whether, you know, it was at a point where you were closely associated with the book or or even just, you know, at Marvel, is there a version of Spider-Man during your tenure 
or Peter Parker for that matter, that you kind of view as like the quintessential version of the character? Or is that something that predates your time at Marvel? Well, I never, I, I've never to, to this day directly edited Amazing Spider-Man. In, right. in all in all my many years, I, I did oversee the Spidey books for a while when when Steve Wacker was editing them. And I was fairly hands-on in terms of setting up and putting together the team that did the three times a month Amazing Spider-Man. But that was really Steve and his his assistant that that was actually doing that and handling that. So you know, I, for for all that I've been here for thirty years, I've read all those Amazing Spider-Man comics and all the various other Spidey titles that have come out since then. But I haven't worked on a whole heck of a lot of them, at least not at the at the core. But really, you know, the the that period, that brand new day, three times a month Spider-Man you know, was largely built around a, a memo I wrote up that kind of outlined, here's, here's what I think Spider-Man's supposed to be about. Uh, and here are the things that we need to kind of get back to and kind of touch on in, in doing Spider-Man. And because the three times a month version has to be produced so much further ahead of time, and we have so many different people involved and this baton handoff has to be uh, accommodated. Here's all the stuff that we should be thinking about. So in a certain way, the Spider-Man of that period kind of accurately reflects, you know, in air quotes, my Spider-Man, you know, it, it much more, I'd say, reflects Steve's Spider-Man. So I don't want to take undue credit for it. It was really all his efforts and obviously the, the creators involved who, who did those stories. But, you know, and uh, again, if you ask me, you know, it more or less these days, you know, uh, goes back to, you know, the the spirit of the Steve Ditko Spider-Man, but really the setup of the John Romita Spider-Man is is kind of it. Before I get to this question, I, I just want to preface and say that Mark and I are big fans of the brand new day Spider-Man. Uh, I, I know that it tends to be a bit of a like hot topic among Spider-Man fans. So, you know, we're we're coming at this like very much in favor of it. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, you, you worked in the spider office or well, at least worked on some clone saga stuff. And it it seems to me that like, you know, there's always has been this constant goal with Spider-Man for the past several decades, which is to kind of get him back to where he was, maybe not all the way back to like Dicko, Ramita, Lee stuff, but at least to kind of like restore the character, you know, in the way that brand new day you know, did, you know, depending on how you feel about brand new day. Like, and this is a constant kind of thing that Spider-Man seems to be dealing with. And, and your memo that you wrote uh, is really articulate about this. And, and I think has really kind of proven fruit uh, over the years. Like I, I, whenever I reread it, I think, wow, he really nailed this, you know, like this is exactly well, you know, you. what, what I wanted to see. And one of the things that you really push there that I kind of think about all the time and struggle with is this idea that the appeal of Spider-Man is kind of his youth that like that the character is young and is kind of in this kind of 25 year old age of his life is, is kind of a a core part of the character because I, I wonder if the sequential nature of comics kind of pushes against this very assertion that Peter's youth is a backbone of the character's appeal. I mean, every time a new writer comes on, they seem to fight against this by introducing some new grown-up element into his life. And even now we've got Nick Spencer reintroducing the proposal of marriage back mm-hmm. into the comic. You know, um, is this something that this character is, this dance is 
do you see this dance continuing forever or, you know, can we, what is it going to take to push this character, you know, past this struggle? Even when we see new representations of the character in the movies where he's much older, like, can he ever escape the pull of this question? I think the answer there is no, he can't because it's baked into the character. It's baked into what makes Spider-Man unique among all of the various superhero characters in the field. It was the thing that distinguished him at the, at the beginning. And it was the thing that made his series, the most popular series Marvel was doing. And then the most popular series in comics in the sixties and seventies, you know, which is the character is, is young. The character is the, the audience. The character is the reader. Uh, and granted, our audience, you know, the, the, the median age of our audience these days versus the 1960s is much older. And there's a natural tendency for the audience to want the characters to, to grow up with them. And that's, for lack of a better term, it's understandable, but it's a selfish motivation. You know, it's, it's all about that particular reader's connection with the character and their own growth and their desire to see that reflected in the character you know and as an editor i can acknowledge that but i also have to understand that i'm also you know safeguarding spider-man for the next generation to come and the generation after that who should be able to approach him you know in the same manner that the generations that are saying oh he should be older now he should have kids and 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 be married and and uh, you know so forth, you know first encountered him, you know I I, I think that that everything that makes Spider Man work, you know is the fact that he's a young character who is still struggling with his place in the world, who is not quite sure about what he's doing or why he's doing it, that grapples with issues. Uh, you know, I- involving his own uh, worthiness, his direction in life, balancing the regular life that he wants with the demands and the needs and the responsibilities of his superhero life. This is all the stuff that makes Spider-Man work. And it's always fun to play with all the other stuff, with all the possibilities. And certainly as you have a succession of different creators that come along, they're going to you know, push to find different things to do with the character to push him in different uh, directions. But it's, it's, it's really no different from any of, you know, a- any ongoing character in comics. Granted, you know, one of the things that, that Stan and, you know, uh, Ditko and Ramita and Kirby and everybody, you know, developed with the Marvel style of storytelling was this, you know, soap opera trajectory of, of of stories that that each story built on the ones that followed it and what you were really reading was the narrative of the life of these characters and up till that point really comic books didn't do that you know you would read a batman story but uh, you know, apart from the particular villain he was fighting it could have been interchanged with any other batman story in any other book that month so so that lends itself to wanting the characters to grow and evolve and continue on and they should they should continue to evolve but for spider-man to work right and for spider-man to work best he's always got to have that that youthfulness it's fun to do a project like uh spider-man life story where you can go right we're going to take the 50 years and we're going to let him age in real time and see what that's like but that's sort of in in a branding sense that's that's your that's your Sprite. That's your Uncola. That's not your 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 Coca Cola. Your Coca Cola is Spider Man being Spider Man. So I don't think 
I don't think there can or there should be uh, a, a version where you know Spidey just grows up and gets it gets it together because that's not Spider-Man at that point. That's some other strip. And and the engine that allows Spider-Man to work, the conflicts that make him relatable, the things that make him appealing to people are not helped by that. You know, the 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 dichotomy of the character is he's got to he's got to balance the the regular Peter Parker needs and responsibilities with the Spider-Man needs and responsibilities. And past a certain point, once things are too easy for him, once he's got it all together too well, once he's got a support structure that makes sense, those problems all go away and it gets more boring. You know, one of the things that, that Ditko once said, and I, I, I hold to this, was that you know, Ditko never wanted to have Spider-Man graduate high school and go into college. And, and you know, he, he, he fought against that decision at the time, and ultimately he was overruled, and it, 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 you know, it happened, and it happened during his tenure. And his thinking on it was very simple, that as a, as a high school kid, Peter Parker could make mistakes, and it was all right. He had a very strong feeling about what a hero was and, and what was right and wrong for a, a good person to do. And once you know, a person was in college and was a young adult, it was no longer appropriate, no longer acceptable to him for Spider-Man to make the kind of uh, dopey mistakes and find himself in the kind of embarrassing situations that were very much a, a part of the character. And, and I think that there's a lot of truth in that, you know, those are the things that, that make people connect to Spider-Man. It's why Spider-Man is different from a Batman or a Superman. It's not just the costume. It's not just the powers. It's, it's about something. And the thing that it's about is youth. To that point, what does the critical success of something like into the Spider-Verse inform you and and Marvel, especially on the print side, about Spider-Man as a character and and how he relates to his audience. Because I mean, obviously, that's a that's a story that it's a Spider-Man story, and it's everything that you're describing, but it's not a Peter Parker story. And right. there's other elements to it that even go beyond that because there's all these different versions of Spider-Man there. So yep. like, so what what is that like? How does that tie in, and, and how does that inform? like these opinions you have about the character? Well, I think, you know, right off the bat, I would tell you, you know, Into the Spider-Verse is a story about youth. The, it just happens to not be Peter Parker's youth. You know, to, to me, it, it's a great film, and, but it's a Miles Morales story. It's about Miles going through the same kind of experiences that Peter once did, and in fact being mentored in some way by the still kind of, you know, depressing down on his luck uh, uh, Peter Parker of the other universe, but that's that 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 film is a Miles adventure, you know. And ever since you know Miles was introduced in the Ultimate books uh, a bunch of years ago, a place where you could phase Peter out and replace him with a new young uh, Spider-Man, you know, that's a character that clearly has clicked with a certain segment of the audience that speaks to them in a very direct way in the same sort of way that, that Peter does. And so to me, it's no surprise that you could translate that over to a film and make, get people to go, yeah, okay, right. That's still, that's still Spider-Man, but the Spider-Man that it is, is Miles Morales. It's not Peter Parker. He's the center of that, of that, that movie. And the, the issues he struggles with in that while they're different, while they're tailored to him, you know, Peter doesn't have, 
uh, you know, a, a parent who's a cop. He doesn't have an uncle who's a supervillain, but he's got things that are similar to that. And he deals with the same struggles of trying to figure out what should I be doing with these powers? How, how do I live my life? How do I be a good person? What's the right thing to do? I think it's very much a Spider-Man movie. Uh, and as I said earlier, it's, it's, it can be fun to play with the stuff around the edges and on the sides. And to, to a, a great degree, I think that that's kind of what Into the Spider-Verse does. You know, it built on a bunch of the things that uh, we had done earlier uh, in the books, notably the, you know, the Dan Slott Spider-Verse story where he grabbed all the various iterations of Spider-Man from across various media and put them in a story together. You know, it, it does that, it, but it really is there more than anything, to me at least, to present Miles Morales as a legitimate Spider-Man to the world and to take all the work that had been done in Ultimate Spider-Man and thereafter Miles Morales Spider-Man by Brian Bendis and Sarah Pichelli and all the people that came after them and, you know, put it in front of a, a larger, wider audience and show that it's kind of a different, a different way of experiencing the themes uh, and the classic structure that is Spider-Man. So I, in, in some ways, it kind of is the exception that proves the rule, if that makes sense. I will be very curious to see what and how whatever sequel they're making to that movie works, because I think that they've they've let themselves a pretty good challenge in in having to come up with a follow up that actually works. And I hope that they're successful, obviously. This is Nick from Collector's Paradise. One of the things we always hear from our customers is that they love our comic book and graphic novel recommendations. And especially now during these tough times when it's not easy to visit your local comic shop, we want to offer you the same experience. That's why we're launching Collector's Paradise Curated, a curated selection of graphic novels based on eight different categories including Marvel, DC, Image, Kids, and more. For only $49.99, including shipping, you'll get between three to four graphic novels based on the category you choose, plus a few bonus comic books. We guarantee you will get at least a 20% discount on the graphic novels and a $10 value on the bonus comics. You can choose to purchase one month or save even more when you subscribe for three or six months. Visit comicsandcards.net and look for the Collector's Paradise Curated logo. So if you live in the United States and want to be surprised by some exciting graphic novels in the mail, come check us out. In a similar vein, the astronomical success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has clearly been a game changer for the Marvel brand. I mean, if it wasn't known worldwide, it now every person on the planet is talking about Marvel. On the print side, is the success of the MCU functioning as a like a blessing and a curse, is there really a way for both mediums to be in sync with each other or is kind of treating them separately, potentially alienating to one audience versus the other? How, how do you guys treat the MCU within your offices? Well, I think it's a little from column A, a little from column B, but, you know, frankly, it's a huge boon you know, overall, if for no other reason than people, vast, vast swaths of people who had no idea who these characters are now do and have an attachment, have a love for them. And that makes them much more likely, you know, to want to pick up, you know, a collection of Iron Man stories uh, than they might've been beforehand because sure. they like, they like Iron Man from whatever, you know, movie they, they saw him in or whatever number of movies they saw him in. Is there the possibility 
that that people can get uh, you know confused and 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 you know discouraged by the fact that not everything is a hundred percent in lockstep. Yeah, maybe. But two minutes ago, you pointed to Into the Spider Verse, <laughs> a movie that's <laughs> as far removed from anybody's experience with Spider Man when it opened as it's possible to be, and nobody walked out of that theater confused. You know, people people embraced it because in those stories. They were able to dramatize what they were doing and to contextualize it well enough that people understood, right, the Spider-Man I know from those movies, he's that guy from that other world over there. And we're now talking about this Spider-Man. And there's a couple of others, including a pig. All right, it's fine. Let's yeah, roll with it. Let's go. The way we relate to what Marvel Studios does effectively is we're we're always trying to be on the forefront, which is to say... You know, I've said it a bunch of times over the years that, you know, studios does one Captain America story maybe every two years. Whereas I just I myself do at least two and sometimes more every single month. So the amount of material, you know, my efforts eat through is astronomically larger than what studios is ever going to be able to uh, absorb. And what they get to do is look over all the stuff that we do and pick and choose the elements that work the best for what they're trying to achieve as they build their cinematic universe. Our goal and, and our objective, you know, in, in publishing is, is to remain again on the cutting edge, on the forefront, the stories that we're doing now should be the stories that they are reflecting However many years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, I think a good example of that is the Black Order, who we introduced in, in the Infinity crossover in, I'm going to say, 2015, 2014. And, you know, they obviously didn't exist before that because we hadn't made them up yet. But then they became a big part of Infinity War and, and Endgame. You know, so, you know, that's a case where what we're doing immediately has an influence on on what they do and how they depict things on on the screen. Certainly, you know, the whole Winter Soldier story is the same kind of thing. Uh, and that's, you know, what they they look to the comics to, to be doing. We are the raw material of ideas that they can pick through. And it's not like they only take our stuff. You know, they do a lot of creative work to craft uh, the releases that they're they're doing, and you know their track record is such that clearly they've done a pretty good job with it all. But you know they mine the raw ore that we're generating every month. So I don't see it as as a as a problem. In some ways, I see it as a benefit. If if they're going to open a Black Widow movie, you know what we want to be doing is the stories that they're going to do you know want to want to draw upon for the second black widow movie or the third black widow movie and and if you're uh you know a uh, an audience member who's either excited that there's going to be a black widow movie or who's just come out of a black widow movie going yeah black widow movie that was great i want more here's here's more here's stuff that you know is still the same character even though a couple of the details around the edges might be a little bit different and, and, you know, here's a place where you can kind of take your love and take your fandom and, and, you know, go to the next level and just get more of this stuff that, that you like. 
Tom, I'm sure there's a, a kind of a push and tug between, you know, in the editorial and, and when you're making decisions in regards to like, how far do we push these characters away from the norm so that we can create these new ideas that may potentially someday become a movie, even though that's probably not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to make great comics, you know, you know, but, but also keeping things safe and recognizable for people who jump on board. And you spoke to that a little bit with your comments about into the spider verse, but I'm, I'm curious with the kind of Disney acquisition a few years back, you know, does Disney kind of, play a hand in Marvel comics and, and, and choices that you guys make in terms of like, Hey, we want to build up this IP because we need ideas for X future film. Or really do they just have such a vast library from you guys that they just kind of let you go your own ways for the most part? I'll well, see. Most people don't really understand that have a very strange sense of what Disney is and how Disney operates. Yeah. You know, because even in that question, you know, it's sort of implied in that question that Disney is also pulling all the strings at Marvel Studios, you know, and, and that's not necessarily the case either. Sure. Um, you know, you know, it's, it's been 10 years now, but, you know, Disney bought Marvel so that Marvel could be Marvel. And so that the thing that we do would be something that they could have and add to their, you know, their arsenal and their repertoire of material uh, and that they could build upon. And they, that, that continues to be the mandate. What Disney wants from Marvel is for it to be Marvel. And so for the most part, you know, nobody at Disney is, is, is approving or second guessing uh, story choices that, that we make, you know, and if they were, that would be the finish of us because they'll be the first ones to tell you, we know how to do what we do in the same way that. Pixar knows how to be Pixar and Lucasfilm knows how to be Lucasfilm. And, and those skill sets are not immediately transferable. You know, there may be, you know, goals, fiscal or otherwise that have to be met. We need three movies next year, or we need X amount of, of, of revenue generated by publishing. And, you know, it's up to us, all the people that are involved in all of those various business units to come up with the ways to do that. But, you know, Disney as a as a, a creative force has not really been has not really had any any direct impact on what we do. You know, we, we don't really make comics any different under Disney than we did before Disney. And, and it's the same, you know, the same thought process that we use, which is a bunch of dumb guys get together and toss around stupid half-baked ideas until we all agree on one that we think is not bad. And then we try to make that one good. Well, um, that makes me very happy. <laughs> you, you know, everybody is afraid. And again, it's, it's, it's the fear of the unknown. Ever since the Disney acquisition, people have been, have had some, some strange, you know, almost paranoid image of a giant shadowy mouse looming over everything and pulling the strings, you know, on everything in some nefarious way, you know, when in fact, you know, that's that's kind of the furthest from the truth. What's good about the Disney relationship is, you know, again, in particularly in, in conjunction with Marvel Studios, is it gets the characters out there more and wider. You know, Disney has such a, 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 a vast network for for, you know, character recognition between the parks and you know, now Disney Plus and the channel and and all the, the, the consumer products outlets that they have. And, you know, Disney is the reason why 
you know, you can find a, you know, a Spider-Man tchotchke in every corner of the globe, but you know, they're not really trying to figure out like what's how, how to make Spider-Man work. They're letting <laughs> the people that know how Spider-Man works do that. And, and uh, you know, what they're, what they're taking from that is how do we, how do we make Spider-Man bigger? How do we get Spider-Man into other markets around the world? How do we, you know, establish the, the, the Marvel brand as a global entity uh, and reap all the benefits from that? And, and again, how do we fling Spider-Man over Disneyland all day long? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to be a thing. <laughs> it is, yeah, I'm really excited about it. You're you're saying they're not sitting there saying we should get Spider-Man back together with Betty Brandt. That does that seems to be a, oh, a, above their pay grade, I guess. Or uh. yeah, I I I, I, I you know it, it, you know it's not like there aren't Marvel fans at Disney, but I'd be shocked if anybody at Disney was thinking about Betty Brandt at all. <laughs> That's a shame. So, sorry, Betty. I'm sorry, Betty. You were great. Creatively, when a talent on the level of a Brian Bendis leaves the company. When it comes to like some of the ca- characters and properties that he's so well known for, specifically like for our audiences, Miles and the Ultimate Universe, how does Marvel balance the desire to do something new with these ideas, maybe, but still pay homage to the groundwork that uh, a talent like Bendis laid without it also looking like a pale imitation? I- I'm 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 asking this question with like the idea that you know there are rumors that the Ultimate Universe is coming back in some variation possibly in the future. So, you know, I guess it just comes to, you know, when, when something is known so specifically for someone that's no longer with the company, how does, how does a company like Marvel Mike move forward with that on the print side? Right. Well, I think, you know, the best, the best analogy I can give you for this and the thing that has guided us since at least 1970 is Jack Kirby left Marvel. Yeah. Uh, and and Marvel went we on. Survived. And was fine. <laughs> and so so at the most at the most fundamental level, <laughs> if Jack if Jack can go and there can still be a Marvel, all the rest of us are, are infinitely replaceable. <laughs> you know, and and with any of the characters, you know, even even the stuff that is very well associated with a particular creator, as you say, you certainly want to honor that creator's voice and vision, but you don't want to just be do, trying to do a pale imitation, uh, you know, a Beatlemania version of what they do, much like what they did when they came in the first place. You want to try and take those characters and those ideas and push them forward and push them in new directions and do new interesting things uh, with them that are shocking and exciting and interesting and, and galvanize the, the audience. So you're not just telling the same story over and over again, and you're not just trying to be a cover band for, for guys that aren't there, you know, when, when, when Brian came, you know, and did, I'll say daredevil because it's a little easier to talk about daredevil as a mainstream Marvel character than like ultimate Spider-Man, where he was starting from scratch, you know, uh, Brian picked daredevil up from wherever he had been left off by, I think it was Bob Gale who did the run right before him. Uh, and he pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, you know, on daredevil, he and Alex believed during their run and, and they did a great run of daredevil. And then eventually they handed it all over to Ed Brubaker, who then pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and did his stories and handed it over to Andy Diggle, who handed it to Mark Wade, who handed it to Charles Soule, who handed it to Chip Zdarsky. And if we'd known it was going to get to Chip, we would have stopped. <laughs> but, 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 you know, this is, this is, you know, it's, it's the nature of our, 
our, our serial publishing. You know, certainly, uh, you know, the 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 imprint of a guy like Brian is is massive. Uh, and to some creators, it can be a daunting thing to follow somebody like that. On the other hand, there are creators who see that as either a challenge or who are just, you know, either too stupid or too egotistical to, to know the difference. And, and fortunately, we work with all of those sorts of people. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's never a shortage of people that want to write Amazing Spider-Man. And, uh, and, and those creators always have, you know, hopefully, you know, buckets full of, of, of good, new, fresh ideas that just come from their experiences and what they love about the character and the particular stories that they read and what resonated with them. And that's what enables us to be able to constantly be pushing all this stuff forward. So about Daredevil, you were on Twitter recently speculating whether or not Daredevil's Born Again is the best Marvel story ever. And Mark and I are huge fans of that story. Yeah. But but as we are a Spider-Man podcast, I'm going to put the pressure on you right now. What is the best Spider-Man story in your mind? The best Spider-Man story is a tougher question. And it's a tougher question, I think, because different generations will give you different answers. I, I, I'll tell you that objectively, and and yeah, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm saying objectively as though my my, <laughs> my 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 completely subjective opinion carries any more weight than anybody else's. But objectively, it's Spider-Man 31 to 33. There's there's no question. You know that's that's it. Every every everything since everything since 1965 has been chasing Spider-Man 31 through 33, um, and replicating that image over and over and over and yeah, over again. Yeah, you know. Again, though, you know, for a certain generation, they will tell you, and they're not wrong, that it's Craven's last hunt. What do you think, Dan? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it, it wouldn't be my choice, but I understand why people see it as what? this kind of elevated art. Choice. What would what 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 would uh, what would your choice be? Well, you know, we actually did a, a list on our show. We called Essentials, and we kind of cut all the big ones out of there. So we cut out like Amazing Fantasy fifteen and and you know uh, thirty one to thirty three. And and I think it's hard to argue against those. Like Amazing Fantasy fifteen, how do you tell a more perfect story in eleven pages th than that? But for me, I think if I'm excluding those. I think the start of Straczynski's run, the the coming home, is one of the finest Spider-Man stories told in those five or six issues. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. I don't know if it's born again good, but it's pretty good. <laughs> I would probably oof, put me on the spot now. I, I if again like using Dan's criteria, kind of excluding the 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 slam dunks. I would probably say nothing can stop the juggernaut to me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like i i don't know for me that kind of captures everything and it's and the fact that it's only two issues and that it's so economical in how it tells the story and it's not even a spider-man villain but i don't even think it matters because like it's just it's just the idea of him versus a threat of that nature and how he overcomes it and and i would push back on that only because it doesn't have his like expanded cast in it in a prominent role so then i would like pivot by saying like amazing spider-man 50 is kind of a great example of, you know, the essence of the character. I mean, to the very point that Spider-Man 2, the movie, is essentially that. I got to go to the Marvel screening for, for uh, Spider-Man 2, and I sat behind John Romita, uh, and all during the movie, at different points, John would, you know, sort of say to himself, I drew that. 
I drew that. I drew that. Well, what what about during your time at Marvel? Is there a Spider-Man story produced while you've been there that you feel like is the strongest thing? Whew. Boy, that's tough. Partly because I don't, I don't relate to them in the same way as an ordinary reader. I can't. Yeah. So I tend to, any of my analyses or, or explorations in, in, into comics, particularly Marvel comics, tend, I tend to stop at 89 just because from that point forward, I can no longer be objective. I was a participant. I was, I was in it. Uh, I, I think a very strong uh, case can be made for, for uh, Amazing Spider-Man 36, the 9-11 issue. Um, but that's almost it's it's almost unfair <laughs> because of what it was, but it was you know so nicely done. And I'm trying to think, and somewhere, you know, uh, Steve Wacker is yelling at me because I'm not, you know, obviously pu- pu- you know pulling the, the 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 classic story that was done in the last couple of years that that he will remember and I will totally forget sitting the, here right now. No um, one certain, dies. Certain not. No one dies is really good. Both the last. The last Dan Amazing issue, 801, and the last Chip issue of Peter Parker, the Eisner winning one. Both of those are, are super great, particularly as, as one-offs. Oh, really? You know, it's, it's, it's 697. 697 mm. is, is a brilliant, yeah. brilliant card trick. And, and, and it, you know, the, 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 you know, the run up to 700 and, and superior Spider-Man is all pretty strong. Those, those three issues, but really the, the, that issue with the reveal and the twist is so, is so perfectly executed that, you know, I, I, I pretty much that whole, that whole run really, I think the, the defining era of, of Spider-Man, you know, since I've been there is the, is the one in which Spider-Man's not much in it. Yes. Which is which is Superior Spider-Man. That's what our show started with. We started this show because we love that series so much. So mm-hmm. I will allow you all of those cheats. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> all right. So, you know, Tom, we have one question we ask all the creators who kind of come on our show. And it's this. It's what is what does it mean to you personally to have been a part of telling the adventures and shaping the fortunes of the Spider-Man character? Well, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great, it's a great honor. It's, it's done a lot to put food on my table, which I appreciate <laughs> and to pay for this house that I'm now trapped in, you know? So, so, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for all of that, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, regardless of, you know, whatever degree of skill and ability I brought to the gig there is an already waiting and primed audience of people who were like me, who already loved Spider-Man or who loved all of these Marvel characters and were already invested, which makes it a lot easier to get the to get that audience on your side by doing whatever you're doing. You know, I don't tend to take that for granted. We we all stand on the shoulders of the giants that came before us. You know, Steve Ditko and Stan, Johnny Romita and, you know, Gil Kane and Ross Andrew and... Jerry Conway and, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on, you know, all, all of those, you know, who came before us, but you know, it's, it's, it's been a, a wonderful thing and I wouldn't trade it. And I don't know what else I would be doing. I may have to find out here if this lockdown goes on much longer, but hopefully not. Hopefully everything will be all right. While you're in lockdown or, or 
hopefully on the other side of it is is there any place where you would want to tell us to follow you either on social media or find more of your work you know maybe that jazz band you do once you're out of <laughs> isolation i mean plug away i guess that's that's the the point sure here. <laughs> well well i'm 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 most readily on on twitter uh, i don't post as much anymore as i once did but i'm still on on twitter as tom brevoort i've got the relatively new it's only about a year old the tombrevoort.com site where I regularly am posting the Brevoort history of comics and other topics that catch my fancy. I'm serializing stuff from my old Marvel blog and writing a bunch of other things as, as the, the, the whim strikes me. So if you want to read about my, all the early comics I read and you know what those things were like and, and find out stories like, the ones I told about uh, Amazing Spider-Man 25 and so forth. That's that's the place to visit. And in the pages of, of Marvel Comics every month uh, on sale, somewhere near you when they're open. Well, thank you, Tom. We, you've been really gracious with your time and generous, and uh, and we wish you the best to stay safe and healthy. You, you as well. I appreciate it. Thanks uh, so much for having me. And uh, definitely stay safe. Wash your hands. Stay away from people. They're no good. <laughs> finally it's it's out <laughs> what we've always suspected thank you yes. tom very much <laughs> all right thanks again for joining us for a special amazing friends episode of the all-new amazing spider talk also a special thanks to tom brevoort for coming to talk to us during this unique time dan what's coming next for our show well mark you never know what the hiatus will bring Except now I'm going to tell you. So, uh, surprise. Next week, we'll be featuring our review roundup episode covering Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, numbers 35 to 37. And we're still planning on launching Season 4 of The Amazing Spider-Talk on April 22nd, if the world still exists at that point. Those are good caveats, Dan. I, I, I just don't know how else to put it. And I can't wait to talk to you about that, provided there's a world. Did you know that you can join our conversations on Amazing Spider Talk 2? Just call 9 Red Goblin and leave us a message about the show. We'd love to hear from you, and you can hear your voice on the show. Just let us know your name and where you are calling from. And if you call in with your thoughts on our next show's topic, either the Brevoort interview you heard today or the Marv Wolfman run, we may feature your message at the start of the show. So don't forget, it's 9 Red Goblin, and be sure to tune in after the show's credits to hear all of our listener voicemails and our answers to our latest Patreon questions. Speaking of Patreon questions, the best way to get your questions answered by us on the show is by joining our Patreon. Just click on the link in the podcast description or head on over to AmazingSpiderTalk.com. This week, our Patreon subscribers can check their Patreon-exclusive podcast feed for a special review of Amazing Spider-Man number 42. Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Patreon-exclusive episodes, Spider-Slack, and mailbag episodes. And depending on your tier, you will also be entered into our monthly raffle, where you can win some really cool Spider-Man merch. And if you're so generous and want to give us $10 or more a month, you can get some of that awesome artwork that we send you in the mail or send you digitally, both the Max Fiamara commission that we've got coming of Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut, or all the works from Nick Cagnetti as we launch our new season. So keep your eyes open for that. So check out the Patreon and help support the continued existence of our show. 
And if you want to tune into our next episode, know that you can always enjoy our shows on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or your podcast player of choice. We'd love to have you along for our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future. Just head on over to AmazingSpiderTalk.com for all the details about where to subscribe. Mark, where can we find you on the internet this week? Well, Dan, if you want to find my origin story, you can always go over to my blog, Chasing Amazing Blog, at www.ChasingAmazingBlog.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog, or you can find my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, wherever books are sold. More specifically, probably online right now in this era of social distancing. And if you want to find my origin story, you probably want to talk to my parents or search through the records in some Baltimore hospital where I was born. I don't know why you would want to do any of that. But I mean, if you are so, so desperate to do so, you could do that. But if you just want to hear what I have to say on the Internet this week, just go on Twitter at at SupSpiderTalk, where I'm tweeting all the live long day. And also go check out AmazingSpiderTalk.com. That's our homepage for all the stuff we're doing. And it's a full catalog of all the things we've written over the years and podcasts that we've done. It's a really great place to be. Plus, I'll be hanging out in the Amazing Spider Slack, which there should be a link in this episode's description if you want to join us to talk about Spider-Man. And, you know, you never know when, but I may be appearing on the Untold Talks of Spider-Man. That's our sister podcast that covers all of the forgotten tales of Spider-Man in a humorous way. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome, Dan. Well, a special thank you to Rick Coast, our amazing, spectacular, adjectivalist, web of sensational editor who cut together this very episode. But in the meantime, be sure, everybody, to stay tuned after this credits music that you've been so used to listening as things end, because we're going to have some voicemail and mailbags after that. But first, the most important thing before we say goodbye is, Mark, you to tell us the motto of our show. Mark, this motto remains true no matter what. And what is that motto? Yeah, as long as the world keeps turning, Dan, our motto remains. With great podcasts, there must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Well, you heard it there, guys. It's the mailbag theme. We haven't heard that music on the show in quite a while. And that's because Mark and I are bringing back a new segment, new old segment. We can't bring back something new. It is an old segment. Come back with a fresh coat of paint. We are doing some mailbags here, Mark, and we're going to be answering questions submitted by our Patreon listeners. So if you are a Patreon subscriber and you want to send a question, Mark and I's way for us to answer on the show. Just go on Patreon, shoot us a message. We're going to start cataloging and answering some of these questions you guys send to us. So our first one here comes from Adam Hedgel. Mark, can you read this question for us? I think I can. Wait, no, no, yes, I can read. If you were offered the opportunity to write Spider-Man, would you take it? And if so, do you know what you would focus on or the direction you take? So, Mark, how would you answer that question? You're offered, okay, let's say, I'm going to add some caveats to this question here because I think no one is coming to us as podcast hosts and offering us to write a Spider-Man comic. Like, I think in this scenario, we have been writing comics 
and establish ourselves as comic book writers. Is that correct? Is that how you want to take this thing? I don't profess to have any abilities when it comes to comic book writing. I, I am my my abilities and talents here are as a comic book reader and I guess social slash literary critic. Great. So okay, in this scenario, Mark, where you're suddenly a writer, would you take on writing Spider Man? Would would it be like too much for you to handle? Are you too close to the material? Or- Want to hear more of this conversation? Become a Patreon member by clicking on the link in the description and you'll gain access to this conversation and more.